0: Welcome to the podcast of Selmore Baptist Church in Ozark, Missouri. To learn more about our church, please visit selmorebaptist.com. And now, here's the sermon. Good morning. Happy Resurrection Day. Turning your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, we're going to be looking this morning at verses 5 through 11. Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 11. I want to say thank you to James to our Praise team, and to all of you, you are singing beautifully this morning. So happy that each of you could join us this morning as we celebrate the risen Lord Jesus. I know that we have a lot of guests with us today, a lot of family members and friends and neighbors, and we are just so thankful that each of you are here today. I want to begin by asking a question. Who in this room remembers what took place on July 20th, 1969? Does that date ring a bell for anybody? I don't remember that. I wasn't born until 1979. Well, on that date, Apollo 11 astronauts landed on the moon. It was an unprecedented human achievement. Millions remember the words of Neil Armstrong. That's one small step for man. You finish it. One giant leap for mankind. But what if I told you That 2,000 years earlier, the creator of that moon made an even more giant leap of a vastly different kind. Jesus descended from heaven to earth. God the Son stepped down from glory to become fully human while remaining fully God. It was an amazing leap which showed us God's heart of love. Jesus became one of us to die on the cross for our sins, rising again on the third day. A leap into space is impressive for sure, but it pales in comparison to what Jesus accomplished when he came from heaven to earth. Today we're going to read a text from the book of Philippians that celebrates this very event. In fact, the passage that we're going to read today is actually believed to be an ancient hymn of the early church. Theologians call this hymn the kenosis, which in Greek means the emptying. And as we read the lyrics of this hymn today, I think that you'll see why they named it that. But let's look at this passage together, see what we can learn, and we'll begin by reading Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Here is what it says. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God... Did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Now this passage that we're going to look at this morning, this ancient hymn, really can be divided into two stanzas. The first stanza is comprised of the verses that we just read. These verses speak to the humiliation, or we might say the humbling, of Jesus. And let me explain what I mean by that. Verse 6, speaking of Jesus, says, Being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. When this verse says that Jesus was in the form of God, that is a statement of his divinity, Jesus, you see, was not just a man. He was not just a prophet. He was not just a teacher. He was not just a person who exemplified love and compassion and all those admirable traits. Jesus was God in human flesh. As such, it would not have been the least bit wrong or inappropriate for him to demand to be treated as God. This is what verse 6 means when it says he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Everywhere Jesus went, he could have commanded people, bow before me. He could have ordered people to treat him with respect and reverence. He could have demanded to be served, and he would have been perfectly justified in that. Now, if you or I did that, that would be robbery, wouldn't it? That would be robbing God of his rightful glory. Not only would it be robbery, I think you could say it would be blasphemy, but not so for Jesus because he was God. He is God. Scripture says that everything, including you and me, was created by him, through him, and for him. Jesus is king of kings, and he is Lord of lords and he is worthy to be treated as such. But here's where the kenosis comes into play. Jesus voluntarily gave all that up. Now, we must be clear, he never surrendered his deity. In other words, Jesus never stopped being God, but he did empty himself of his heavenly glory and at least some of his divine attributes. We might put it this way. Jesus never gave up his throne, but he did give up the privileges of royalty. Verse 7 says that he took on the form of a bondservant. Can you imagine a king making himself a slave? But that is exactly what Jesus did. He emptied himself. Verse 7 also says that he came in the likeness of men. Jesus was a king who essentially became a peasant. He dressed like us. He ate like us. He slept like us. He worked like us. He became one of us. In this, Jesus was the ultimate example of humility. No wonder the Bible tells us that God takes such strong exception to pride If Jesus was humble enough to leave the splendor of heaven and come to this messed up world and take on human flesh, who are we to think that we're above anyone else or too good to do anything? This is why verse five tells us, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Spurgeon put it this way. He said, Jesus is the great teacher of lowliness of heart. We need daily to learn of him. See the master take a towel and wash his disciples' feet. Follower of Christ, will you not humble yourself? See him as the servant of servants, and surely you cannot be proud. Is not this sentence the summary of his life? He humbled himself. Was he not on earth always stripping off first one robe of honor and then another till naked he was fastened to the cross? And there did he not empty out his inmost self, pouring out his lifeblood, giving up for all of us till they laid him penniless in a borrowed grave? How low was our dear Redeemer brought? How then can we be proud? Pride cannot live beneath the cross, the words of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. As followers of Jesus, there's no room for pride in our heart. There should be absolutely nothing that is beneath us when it comes to serving God and serving others. This is what we learn from our master. But Jesus didn't stop there. He didn't stop at coming to earth and emptying himself of his glory. He didn't stop of living, excuse me, at living a life of servitude and moral goodness. Verse eight says he took it a step further, meaning that he didn't just show us how to live; he died for us. He died for our sin. Verse eight says that he became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Now that's very important. In fact, it's huge that Christ died for us, and here's why. All of us are debtors to God because of our sin. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That is to say, that sin separates us from God. All of us have a sin debt that we cannot pay. The, excuse me, the Bible teaches very clearly that no one is good enough. To pay their own debt we just can't do that and that poses a very serious problem because the bible also says that god is holy that god is just and that he must punish sin for instance Romans 6 says the wages of sin is death and not just physical death but what the bible calls the second death eternal separation from god in a place of torment known as hell But this is where the cross comes in. The Bible teaches that on the cross, Jesus took our sins upon himself. Now he had no sins of his own. He was spotless. He was perfect. But he took our sins upon himself so that the punishment he endured on the cross satisfied the wrath of God for our sin. In other words, Jesus on the cross was our substitute. The Bible says he was our propitiation because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. If you and I will genuinely turn from our sin and follow Jesus in faith, God will save us and he will give us eternal life. Let us come back for a moment to the humility of Jesus. Can you imagine leaving heaven and coming to earth And being murdered by the very creatures that you made. The very creatures who depend on you for every breath they take. Jesus came to this earth and with the exception of possibly one day that I can think of, which would be Palm Sunday. With that one exception, the crowds never acknowledged Jesus as Lord. They never thanked him. They never celebrated him. Jesus was born to an unmarried peasant girl. He spent his first night in a feed trough. He lived his last years without a home. He died as a common criminal. And when he left this world for good, only a handful were there to see him off. Jesus' earthly existence was the epitome of humility. And that humility is the theme of this first stanza of this ancient hymn. But now we come to the second stanza, and it takes on a decidedly different tone. Look with me now, if you would, at verses 9 through 11. A transition takes place here in the text. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Could the contrast be any greater? Whereas the first stanza tells us of Jesus' humiliation, this stanza tells us of Jesus' exaltation. In the first stanza, Jesus is depicted as a lowly servant, a man who completely emptied himself of the glory that he deserved, a man who, who died a humiliating death on a Roman cross. But in the second stanza, now we read of a man whom God has highly exalted. In fact, verse 9 says that his name, the name of Jesus, is above every name, of every person who has ever walked this earth, Kings, scholars, humanitarians, warriors, civil rights leaders, celebrities, religious leaders. His name stands head and shoulders above all names. There is no comparison. He is the greatest man to ever live. And yet he is even more than that. He is God. He is king of kings and he is Lord of lords. And because that's true, verses 10 through 11 say that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, the first time Jesus came, it was in a cloak of humility. He emptied himself. He was neglected. He was criticized. He was spurned. And eventually, he was murdered. And very few during his lifetime ever knew who he truly was. But the Bible says that one day, Jesus is going to return to take his people home and to judge the living and the dead. And the second time around, he won't come in a cloak of humility, but he will come with his glory on full display. And in that day, no matter who you are, no matter what you've believed, no matter what your last name is, No matter what position you've held in this world, you and everyone else that has ever existed will bow before King Jesus and confess that he is Lord. Why? Because it pleases God the Father for his son to get the glory that he deserves. When I was a teen, I had a pastor who used to say, Everyone will one day bow before Jesus and confess that he is Lord. Everyone. The only question is, will you do it now of your own volition while your soul can still be saved, or will you be forced to do it on the day of judgment when it's too late? Either way, you will confess Jesus as Lord. I will. We all will. Now, as we consider this ancient hymn and its two stanzas, I believe we're left with one question that still needs to be answered. And that is, what in the world happened between the first stanza and the second one? What happened that changed everything? How did Jesus go from being the picture of humility in the first stanza to the picture of royalty in the second? Something had to change, right? Something big had to happen. You know what it was that changed everything? The empty tomb the resurrection. When the angel came and rolled the stone away from the tomb and Jesus busted out of that grave, it changed everything. When Jesus came back to life, he defeated sin. He defeated death. He proved to everyone once and for all that he was and is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. You see, the resurrection wasn't just the climax of Jesus's earthly life and ministry; it was the watershed moment of human history. So much so, we literally measure time from Jesus's life. Our calendars divided into B.C. before Christ and A.D. Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. Jesus is literally the central figure of history. And why is that? It all comes back to his resurrection. That's what I would submit to you today. Because many men have been born into this world and claimed that they were the son of God. Did you all know that? There's been a lot of people in the history of the world who claimed that they were some kind of Messiah. Or some have even claimed that if they kill me, I'll come back to life. But you know what? There's only one. Man in the history of the world who has ever backed that up and his name is Jesus and his resurrection is the single most important event in the history of the world but listen it's one thing to acknowledge that up here it's a whole other thing to acknowledge that here Everything that we've talked about today, everything that we've sang about today, Christ's life and death and burial and resurrection only saves your soul, only takes effect in your heart if you repent of your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ. Listen to me very carefully. If you leave here today thinking something along these lines, isn't it nice that Jesus died on the cross for our sin? And isn't it a lovely thought that he rose from the dead? Hopefully, I can be as good a person as Jesus. If you leave here today thinking just merely that, you've missed the entire point. The point is that Jesus came and emptied himself and subjected himself to death on the cross and rose from the dead, not to make a nice story, not to make a day where we could dress up in pastels and look eastery not to make us better people but so that you and I could be saved from our sin and an eternity in hell and be reconciled to God one man has said Jesus did not come into the world to make bad men good he came into the world to make dead men live And until we put our faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says we are dead in our trespasses. We are dead in our sin. We are dead men walking. But when we turn to Jesus and call upon his name for salvation, he makes us alive together with him. In John 11, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, What? He shall live. I don't know the state of your heart today. And I don't know whether or not you've truly made a commitment to follow Jesus. Only you and God know that for sure. But here's what I do know. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have Everlasting life. Jesus came to this world and he emptied himself for you and for me. What a kind and humble and wonderful Savior. If you've not surrendered your life to him, won't you do that today? Admit to God that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus came and died for you on the cross. That he rose from the dead on the third day and commit your life fully to him. And if you do that, he will save you, and he will give you eternal life. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. In just a moment, we're going to have a song of response. If you're not familiar with this time, here's how it works. If you're sitting here today and God is pressing on your heart that you need to repent of your sin and put your faith in Jesus, I'm going to be standing here at the front of the room during this closing song. And if you're here today and you want to be a Christian and you want to be a follower of Jesus, we would just ask that you just walk to the front during this song, shake my hand, say, Josh, I want to follow Jesus. I want to be a Christian. And I would be overjoyed to talk with you more about that and to pray with you And I promise you this, I'm not gonna embarrass you if you come up, I'm not gonna make you say anything in front of the church, but by you walking to the front of this room, that is your declaration, that is your public statement, that you believe in Jesus, that you believe in his cross, that you believe in the empty tomb, and it is your desire to surrender your life to him as Lord. If there's anyone here today who is willing to take that courageous step we're going to give you that opportunity here in just a moment. If you're here today and have any other public decision that you need to make, this is also a time for anyone that is a Christian but you've never been baptized. If you'd like to come and submit yourself for baptism, you can do that during this time. If you've been worshiping with us for some time and the Lord's putting it on your heart to officially unite with our church in membership, you can come forward during this time and say, Josh, we would like to formally, officially join the church Any decision you need to make for the Lord or anything you just need to pray about today, you can come here at the altar, you can kneel down, and you can do business with God.